0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast. For this episode, we're going back. Back to America, East Coast of America, to a guy called Joey Kilrain, the founder of Dead, and he has clients who range from Fortune 100 companies to startups, and also a professor from the Fashion Institute of Technology. Uh, Born and raised in Philly. Joey, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Rian. Delighted to have you. Typical fashion with the podcast, focus on three areas, early influences, challenges, pivotal moments while providing value in all those three, or particularly in the latter two. So no different with you, born and raised South Philly. Any favorite memories, standout memories from growing up there?
1: Oh, absolutely, man. Philly has got a lot of history. There's a lot of uh, inspiration to come out of it. I know Philly can get a bad rep because people, uh, they know that they're kind of short fused down there and the like, but what I will say with Philly is that it absolutely opened my mind up to uh, creative expression. No doubt about it. So in the very beginning, like my parents, I unfortunately, I, I come from a broken home, uh, but that didn't stop my mom and dad from providing me influence. Uh, my mom always kept me engaged in some sort of like creative arts, whether it was pottery or you know, drawing and painting and that kind of stuff. But uh, my dad always kept me mechanically inclined, always kept me engaged in something he was building or something he was doing, so it was good. Mm. But it wasn't until I started getting into graffiti that I realized self-expression. And that was amazing. Uh, And not to mention, because uh, back then we we did have a lot of money, I couldn't afford the expensive, colorful spray paint. So I always had to get my spray paint cans from the the value box. And these were like mustard yellows and like cobalt blues that people are like, these colors stink. But that's all I could afford. And what they did was allowed me to use any color to make Mm. something cool. And I became like, kind of like, it didn't matter. Like whatever I could afford is how I had to do expression. So yeah. So besides that, uh, the other thing I got out of Philly was, uh, definitely integrity. Uh, while back then they would say, just keep your mouth shut. That's the integrity. Like don't say nothing, won't be nothing type thing. But I learned a lot about how to stand by the people that are with you. And Mm -hmm. I think as a businessman now having the team of people around me, the reason why they stick around isn't because I can pay them a lot or is it because of anything more than that? Uh, they know that they're gonna learn with me and they know that I got their back. And that was something that really helped. Uh, obviously I gained that affiliate, that bigger
0: thing. How important is empathy then based on what you just said?
1: So uh, empathy, depending on what uh, what it's in regards to, it, it does get into somebody's work. So for example, empathy for, uh, for Philadelphia, for example, I see gentrification. And gentrification is both good and bad. It's good because we're bringing in new stuff. It's bad because the people that have lived it their whole lives they can't afford it anymore have to move on. They feel the pressure. And mm-hmm. it obviously lends itself to a lot of the political stuff that goes on in Philly where they see the crowd coming in that can buy two houses and they can barely afford their one house. And that's intimidating. And plus they bring in... Uh, perspective of how they want to live their life that doesn't fit the mold of how you have lived your life. So what you perceive to be the way it should be and the way they perceive the way it should be don't always get along. So when it comes to the empathy part, uh, from a designer perspective, it's a little bit easier because then I just know I have to focus on that customer. But if it comes from like a neighborhood perspective, yeah, that's where it gets kind of muddy. And I don't know how you can Easily answer that because uh, it gets into politics, sure. it gets into religion, uh, you know, sexual um, uh, choices, uh, or just how I am, and yeah, and uh, which is an awesome topic, but definitely something where it's per, it's it's definitely relevant to that particular
0: group that are struggling with it. Originally from Philadelphia, uh, I've only been there to get the train down to Baltimore. We spoke about this offline. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I'm actually hoping to come back out in November. November first and November seventh is when I've got my flight booked. Um, something else we talked about offline. Hope you don't mind me asking you. Know, I can take it out if you do. Is uh-huh. you said Capoeira? You spent some time in Brazil, and that yes. was one of the things that changed everything about your life. Yes. Talk to me. Yes.
1: Yeah. Awesome. So it's uh, it's Capoeira. And it took me a while to get that as well, and I think the pronunciation for some because it isn't a common word that we use. But yeah, so as we spoke about offline when I was younger, growing up in Philly, you got to be able, you got to be good with your hands. That's it. Now I wasn't the best, but I also didn't run, and uh, I definitely got my fair share of beatings and landed when I could. However, what I didn't realize, and I think for the younger generation of the younger group that might be listening, the first thing at least two things that I would recommend to them is first, learn how to defend yourself. You don't need to fight everybody, but I think when you know how to fight, there's a certain level of confidence you have in yourself after that. And mm-hmm. then when you're in difficult conversations, it's not gonna go to a fight, but at least you're not intimidated by that. And that gave me a lot more confidence when I, when I technically learned how to fight versus like you learn on the streets, guys show you some tricks, whatever. But when you technically learn how to fight, especially with the breathing that's required to fight correctly, that changed how I handled stuff. So I didn't like, like all the time, like you kind of calm yourself down a little bit. And I found that to be very effective in meetings with people or in situations that were getting kind of difficult. The other thing that I would recommend to the audience is to learn comedy. Because when learning comedy, you don't need to crack jokes Hmm. all the time, but you can read the audience better when uh, when you take those classes. Because then you're seeing how the crowd is. And and I found it to be a, a better way for public speaking. But with Capueta, as I mentioned, uh, when we talked offline, yeah, I got into a fight with a wrestler in Philly. Uh, and yeah, he busted me up pretty bad. And I, w- I had a stand-up game. Uh, you know, got long limbs, long arms, and I was able to keep the guy at bay. But the minute he got my wrist, that was it. I had Came no over. way of getting out of that, man. Yeah, and at that point, yeah, like they had to peel him off me. And I, I, two guys had to help me home. Uh, head was all bloody, you know, face was all messed up. And I uh, had a massive lump in the back of my head because the way he took me down and I hit the concrete. And it, a little bit of a wake-up corner, I realized, yeah, I'm definitely not a – I'm not that kind of fighter. But um, what got me into Capoeira was some guy at the gym saw me hit the heavy bag. And from there, uh, I saw this sport, and I kept saying Capoeira. I didn't know how to pronounce it. But once I, uh, once I saw it, I'm like, yo, that's amazing. Like, how do you stop that guy? He's not like, like typical boxing. You're standing straight up and you got your hands up. here. Mm-hmm. You think this dude is like kind of moving left to right. He's doing his little cartwheels. Mm-hmm. He's pivoting down. And I was thinking like, yo, how do you, how do you stop him? Like, I don't know. And then what, what inspired me cause I'm a six foot guy. I thought, yo, most of the guys I encounter are shorter and they want to get in closer. And as a boxer, you want to keep them at bay. Why you want that distance? Cause I have the jab. But hmm. once I got into Capoeira, it's got uh, Jiu Jitsu in it, it's got some Kung Fu, it's a, kind of kind a, of a mix of a bunch of things. But that absolutely changed the game because what Capoeira gave me was that there's always an option. You always have an option to get out of something, whatever mm-hmm. that might be. And it, it's definitely philosophical, but also from physical as well. Like, how do you like sidestep a problem like, uh, you know, kids ride a bike? Most people jump out of the way. Capoeira, you're you're so nimble on your uh, on your toes that to spin around something is quite common because yeah, that's what they teach you in all the uh, in all the training and the like. So for me, it definitely opened up my eyes to there's more than just one way to get something done.
0: You certainly can't have a big ego when you're practicing a order.
1: Yeah, because they they also make you dance, and most guys of our complexion are not the best of dancers. Uh, at least so for, for me, of course. And, I'm with you. Um, but yeah, but it it. it you have to, um, you know, people are watching, and you're going to be silly, and guess what? It's okay, mm-hmm. totally okay.
0: Before we get into business, I do have a question related to that. You talked about um, the fight that took place in Philly, and and sometimes in life, there's moments where you meet a road and you have an option to go down path A or path B, and that was probably a moment where you had an option to to just accept the beating and potentially recluse and, and just go into yourself or say, I wasn't the better fighter in that scenario. I don't want that to happen to me again. And I want to I wanna be in a better situation when that happens. What was going through your head when after that happened that, that made you go down path B rather than path A? Uh,
1: so I, I never, ever... Uh, thought I would be like a a big time fighter, right? Mm. I I always knew art was my calling. That was it. Uh, Some people, they wait for the call. Other people just go. And I just went. That's what I did. I've always been this creative guy. I've done, like, even everybody in Philly knows what I do with that. It's just always been that way. Uh, Now, with that said, you still had to defend yourself. And you know, so I got into that. Now I was never a big mouth. Guys will tell you that in Philly, I'd never went around bragging about things. But yeah, I was a target. Why? Well, I was a nerd. I was geeky. Uh, I, I I had a head as big as ET on a body for like a like a five year old. So it kind of looked weird. And yeah, it was a lot of a lot of picking, a lot of bullying, and that kind of stuff. But yeah, there were situations where okay, like I had to stand up, and I would stand up to a lot of people. Why? Because I was tired of being picked on. And yeah, in a lot of cases, it did end well for me because I wouldn't back down and then okay. uh so that that point though like what the turning point was i don't think it was so much that the fighting what the turning point was for me was when we started learning about drugs and the guns got involved and that kind of stuff and that's what, what i just like that now. uh that was like teenager like 16 17 mm. you know gotcha. uh, it probably started like earlier because i used to use uh they had like different drug paraphernalia uh, near my house when I was younger and I used to use that with my G.I. Joe's. Uh, which again, kinda crazy. But I had no idea what it was. Mm-hmm. And of course, like my parents didn't realize it, which now as a parent, I watch everything my kids do because I thought, oh snap, I was that close to it as a kid. Mm-hmm. And they didn't know. And I didn't know. Right. And I'm not blaming anybody. It's just that's what happened. But when I got into my teens, it was really big with hip hop and rap. Uh and yeah, you started seeing stuff that I thought, yeah, dude that's not me you see somebody with a gun that changes your perspective really quickly especially when they hold it in their hand they're like kind of like being stupid with it i'm like yo that's just that's scary so for me that's when i knew i'm not a gangster it was shortly after that when i graduated high school and got into college that i saw a big divide between my friends from the neighborhood and my career because i was spending more time reading and learning what it is to be a designer. And it had nothing to do with not wanting to hang with them. I mean, till this day, all the friends in my neighborhood that I grew up with, I'm still friends with them. We still talk on Facebook, you know, actively, right? It's like you know, almost daily we talk with that. So I still have a really good rapport with them. But when I was younger, yeah, the decision just kind of happened. Where all right, I'm going to pursue design. I'm going to make this happen.
0: And you moved to New York for that?
1: Yes. So moving to New York happened. for one big reason which was um at so i graduated when i was uh 21 and um everything was cool i got a job at this company and it was called Evan direct and i learned a lot from those guys and unfortunately there was a, uh there were three friends one of them that was so dear to me that it all passed away in a month of november and i went into a dark spot for a minute um, as a young guy i didn't know what was going on i was 23 now or yeah i was uh no i was yeah, I was 20. I was 21. I was in total disarray. My family was worried because I was super quiet. Um, I wasn't really like associated with a lot of people and the And then I just got this idea to go to New York and it was sending faxes. Right. That's how I had to get in there. And yeah, within three months, I was living in Queens, New York. That was it. Nice. I had no friends, no family. And I took a massive risk because the guy said to me two weeks prior, before I moved, he says, I'll oh, call me in two weeks. and I'll see if there's a job for you. I went all the second week. I just went up there that day <sighs> to like, take the job. And he goes, Oh, I didn't know you were coming. I said, Oh, I thought you wanted me to start today. And then to make it even funnier, I even asked for a $700 cash advance. Cause I still to get my apartment in Queens so yeah. totally yeah totally talk about being dumb naive like i had no idea but i knew that yeah i was going to new york and acting the part. yeah yeah no man it, it was amazing and i think a lot of times people they they try to control it and i absolutely just kind of floated like mm-hmm. like it was just gravity that's all it was and i just gravitated there and when i got to new york it was it was amazing like i i for the first time i thought yo, i fit in I don't feel like I got to worry about someone trying to beat me up or, you know, take my basketball or something. Right. Like I, and even at 22 or so I still had, there was still beef down in Philly. There's still a lot of guys that were trying to find their way. And I just got, you know, confident in myself and I just went to New York. And then from there you snap your fingers and it's 17 years and all the amazing things that happened. Yeah, man. And, And then you get like, you know, for me, um, uh, like living there, uh, meeting all the people that I met, uh, I met so many different cultures and that's what allowed me to travel and work in other countries. Uh, I got crazy curious about visiting other places where, uh, like the, the flights were only like, like 800 bucks round trip with a hotel. And nice. uh, I didn't, know I didn't know this back then, but the Europeans were way ahead of it where, yeah, you could beat somebody and just stay at their house and it's all good.
0: Mm-hmm. That's all Couch good. Surfing.
1: Yeah. And that, but that wasn't common in the States. And when I learned that trick, dude, oh my God, it was like all over Europe. Like I was going every like six months because I'd make more than enough money. I had a one bedroom apartment. I didn't have, I never had a roommate Um, and I just would, yeah, just go. And then I could work remotely because I was a nerd and I could just plug my laptop into any like, you know, broadband or Wi-Fi connection that I'd find. And I was going to get the work done. So the money was still coming in. I was getting to travel, Living and uh, yeah, and, yeah, it was amazing, man. It was totally amazing. And I, I again, I think there, there's a lot of people uh, like to take the risk. It could be a little scary, and I think a lot of people always think about they're going to fail. And my argument is, well, what if you succeed?
0: Well, that's a question I have for you actually, because I want to get into your current venture, Dead Founder of it. But you, you've mentioned risk. Um, some vendors I talk to openly discuss the idea of fear um, as a, as a business owner. Now, there's risk involved as a business owner, but how do you manage that? You know the the the, the topic of fear when it comes to running your business, because it's completely different to working in the corporate world. Your, your brain is always thinking about the business. If you stop working, the money stops coming in it's difficult to switch off at times, particularly in the early days, you can get very little sleep because you're always waking up and then taking their notes. So when it comes to fear, how do you manage that?
1: Well, from a, from a business side, I see mm-hmm. no difference between my name on the door or someone else's name on the door. Okay. Because if someone else's name is on the door, you can get the axe. any day of the week. And with a client, same thing can happen. They give you the axe any day of the week. Now what I look to do and, um, Again, talking about bumping into people, I had the chance to meet Richard Branson a uh, wow. couple years ago. Yeah, talk, yeah. Again, talk about cuckoo bird. I also met Warren Buffett, uh, which is another thing. But with Richard Branson, to see him standing there, I remember I was like awestruck. And I normally I can I, I'm like a butterfly. I can I can socialize with anybody, but I didn't know what to ask him. And one of the women that were with us, or eight of us, one of the women had asked him, "How do you retain your talent?" And now this is something where uh, after he said it, I've been doing this for years, but he put it in words. He says, "Well, what I do is I I help people so much and educate them so much that they can leave whenever they want to, but I treat them nicely so they won't." And I, when I heard that, I thought, "Dude, that's exactly how I am with my customers. Where you can go at any time, but I always got your back. I'm looking out for you." Now, granted. I may not be as uh, the same price for some other people, and I think that's no different than buying a fancy car versus an inexpensive car, right? Like, you know what you're getting, but Mm -hmm. I have that reputation, and you know that if it breaks, I'm going to figure it out. You know, I'm in your corner, and one of the biggest challenges with tech is finding the nerd that's creative, and that's what's allowed me not to be scared. Like, yeah, I know I'm going to make a mistake. You're right, you're looking at a, a massive mistake right here. But what I also know is that if I if I'm worried about every second of the day, it's not healthy, number one. Number two, how I how I don't get into that problem is you set expectation. So if I say, hey, we're gonna talk today like at you. twelve o'clock, okay, that's the time we're gonna talk. Or if you could expect work from me, expect it at this time. Or if a, a, a wonderful question is, what if I go over budget? How do you talk to the client about that? And Ooh, these are wait. all things where you got to Yeah, you got to, you know, I think you got to be really strong with yourself first before you mm. can, you know, get into that, because if you're already scared, and you try to run a business, it's no different than working for someone.
0: Yeah, it, it, it reminded me of when I was younger, my father used to ask me to cut the grass. And initially in the early days, I'd say, yeah, I'll cut the grass, but he'd always ask that I just cut the grass, but just tell me when you'll have it done by. That's all he wanted to know. Mm. And if it wasn't done by then, you're in trouble. But if it was done by then, fine. And ever since then, I've always had that expectation of, you know, if someone's doing something, I'll tell them, you can expect it (laughs) to be on your desk by End of yes. close business on Friday. So it'll be there yes. and they'll, you know, that's it. and I think that's vitally important. Before yeah. we jump into the questions around business that I have, because I'm incredibly interested in, in the conversation which Can you tell the listeners what it is that your business does? Because that's awesome. important to the next part yeah. of this.
1: Yeah, yeah. So what we do, we are a digital experience design company, DEAD company as the acronym. And we provide uh, user research, uh, visual design, And then more importantly, uh, how do you put it all together? So from a customer research standpoint, I think a lot of times uh, people don't like research because when you get the feedback, it may not be what you, the customer, or you, the client, want to hear about how the customer interacts with something. And there's a lot to be said about that. Uh, For those that uh, uh, don't want to hear the bad news, you're part of the problem. Uh, You get in the way of the customer and you need to give them what they want, otherwise they'll go to somebody else. And I think it's a very easy solution. Either you kind of listen to what they want and make it work or someone else is gonna do it for you. But on the flip side, for those that have to administer the bad news, you have to say it in a way that you're not scaring them to death. Like you wanna have a like a plan. So for example, we had one customer where uh, they were merging all these different texts They bought all these companies and they're trying to merge it all into one tech. And of course it's not all going to work out. So what we came back with, uh, we interviewed the people they wanted to, but then we went and met with customer support and the dev team, because customer support is dealing with the problems all day. And the dev team is going to tell me where all the bodies are buried in the code Mm -hmm. and that insight in conjunction with what the stakeholders wanted to hear. We were able to balance, what we're going to get done. So low hanging fruit is, well, the login button isn't working. (laughs) Well, you should fix that, right? That's a very basic, Mm -hmm. but try to get these two big texts that you bought to work together is not. So why do we keep them separate for the time being and then figure out a way on how to merge them in the future? You're not going to do that overnight. So simple stuff like that is what we do there. That's my research part. The visual design part is more like creative. Like how do you make it look right? And, uh, with that, we look to remove all the emotion from the conversation. So basically if you ran one, uh, the color blue, I would say, okay, that's a That's a safe color. But if that color blue is not ADA compliant or WCAG compliant, maybe we shouldn't use it because certain customers won't know that's a, They may not see the color contrast with the words over that blue.
0: Now I, I, I know what ADD, American disability, something, but what's the second act. one you mentioned?
1: Uh, that's the uh, web consortium. Hold up. I don't have it off the top of my head, but WCAT is the web compliance. That's what it Got is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Web content accessibility guidelines. Uh, but mm-hmm. we just say ADA here in the States uh, with it. The WCAG is uh, mostly for Europe. But again, the, the principles are the same, right? They, they have mm-hmm. a lot of similarity between the two. Uh, but yeah. And then the last part, believe it or not, is the handoff. Because you'll have a lot of creative guys that'll do like all this awesome stuff but none of it matches to the CSS or to the grid and framework of what you're building into. So now you have this awesome layout that may not convert into code. And now all you did was just a pretty picture. It's not gonna, like the tech ain't gonna work or the best one, and this is an easy one to envision. I, I can't stand pie charts. Okay, I, I can't say no because pie charts, when you see it, you think of like a pizza, like everything is an even cut. Now, if we have five points on that pie chart, let's say four of those slices are only 1%. And then the fifth one is 96%. So you're mm-hmm. going to see this huge, big circle and then these four little slivers. And it's super hard to see the content in there people that have dexterity challenges won't be able to move their mouse onto that because their hands might be shaking right and not to mention if you do it where let's say you have more than just five points what if you got 20. Mm -hmm. it's terrible so whenever you see a pie chart it always looks like the perfect balance of like maybe 50 30 20. But what happens when it's 97 or 98 and then 1%, 1%, you know, it's just like, it's, mm-hmm. it's tough. So, Makes yeah, sense. all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that that's what we do. We just provide the reality around that. Uh, so incredibly,
0: yeah, so it's, incredibly interesting for a creative, no doubt.
1: Yeah, and it's where, like, again, as a designer, we look to give you the reality of what it's going to be. Uh, A lot of times, or or another great example. So some of the customers I work with are in India. And if you don't know, some of the Indian names, I think are almost double the alphabet, (laughs) right? Like that's how many characters they have in their name, but your name field only accounts for seven. Joseph, you know, uh, Connor, right? Like there's not a lot of characters. And when you go to someone to India, I'm like, yeah. So you've absolutely alienated people Mm. that may have a longer name. And now that we're so like, like the whole planet is a melting pot to some degree. Like everyone's name, you can have a super long name anywhere. Uh, Yeah. I find a lot of guys just make it work for like Joe or Jane or something dumb versus no, Mm. like think about like, it's such a wide range out there. What about Balakrishna? How do you put that in there?
0: You know, you, 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 you take care of the little small, minute things, but on a large uh, visited the website, those things matter because they're visited a lot. Yeah. Like the, the name thing you talk about and and the, the colors and everything. Customer experience is something that springs to mind that I know you wrote an article around measuring the ROI return on investment of uh-huh. customer experience. Uh-huh. Uh, so customer experience is the umbrella to the entire experience the customer will have with the business. What's the biggest mistakes that you see organizations make when developing a customer experience model?
1: Well, uh, so customer experience can be a variety of things, right? But if we keep it simple, uh, Mm -hmm. let's say we're trying to improve uh, how the customer interacts with the product, right? And a really basic uh, guideline or principle we use for that is, uh, is customer support getting more or less tickets? So if they're getting more requests because they can't figure something out, okay, well then that's something we've done incorrectly. On the flip side, if they're getting less calls about it, that means it's done correctly, right? Mm-hmm. But in order to do that, you want to interview who that person is. And usually, with customer experience, you have two categories: you have the like the pro users and then the beginners. So pro users are someone like yourself where you could get in and like uh, already know how to use Zoom.
0: Yep.
1: Like that, really, really quick. Like if you want to change your background in Zoom, you probably know how to do that very quickly. Mm-hmm. But for a beginner. They may not know that, and how do you do it? And with Zoom, you have to do a lot of hovering on the screen. And then once you get the options that come up, then you go and select it. So from a customer experience standpoint, an ROI would be if most of our customers are struggling to know how to change their background, how do we make that easier for them to change the background? And is there a button that we put out in the open? Or maybe it's something where it never goes away You know, what is that? But that's where you would start to do the research around that audience and find out what are the beginners struggling to find
0: versus those that are pro users. Interesting. Background, video backgrounds, another topic you've spoken about. And for the viewers of this video, I recommend tuning into YouTube for this particular segment of it to see what we're talking about. Um, (laughs) Why do you think virtual backgrounds, particularly in the last 18 months have become very important because I know the story behind a lot of the car registrations behind you and the hair or the barber, uh, the barber pole. Yeah. (laughs) That's it. Yeah. So tell me, why do you think virtual backgrounds are important?
1: Oh, God. I mean, for me, uh, it has been an absolute branding experience. So for the people that know me, they know I build a lot of old cars. I've been doing that since i lived in Philly. Uh, matter of fact, i'm I'm building uh, I'm building up an old truck on my driveway uh, you First. know currently. Uh, mm-hmm. But with that, yeah, like that gives a glimpse into your world. Like what is it that you do? And it's a conversation piece. And with anything, anyone, you want to make that a personal connection with people. And ironically, with classic cars, it's amazing how many cultures love a, a old American muscle cars whether it's corvettes camaros apalas you know whatever those are and those are all chevys because i i only work on chevys uh but with that uh yeah like you can have uh you can have a conversation piece start off and that helps to break the ice versus the camera just clicking on and then you know it's business as usual so to make that mm-hmm. personal connection for me it's been wonderful and then for uh those that we go to my linkedin page yeah my background border is my my wall license plates. And people know right away, like, oh, this is the guy. So there's a part of me that doesn't want to go back to the office because this, this room has become branded for me. So they mm. know, like, yeah, this is the guy. Like, the connection is there.
0: We've got a studio upstairs that my father uses a lot because he trains a lot of sales organizations. And he has his kid out to tell his story, you know. His grandfather has a camera from World War II that my father has mm. and other things as well. So. But I never thought of it. I just looked at it as a cool thing. And then when I heard you talk about the background, you've definitely inspired me to change mine because mine, if anyone's looking, it's just a whiteboard and, and a light at the moment. So definitely need to add more to mine so I can tell my story. Yeah, you know what I would,
1: I would recommend is mm-hmm. you could take a green screen and you could put a green screen on the door in the background. Mm-hmm. And then you could have that green screen as a mask so that means you could have like outer space, or you could have something peak, of, like like something totally off the wall. And, and like no, there's yeah. another one. Yeah, there's another one where the guy has himself recorded moving around in the background. So as I'm talking to you, imagine oh. a Joey. Yeah, it was, I'm like, dude, that, boom, you're done. You're, you're, you're creative. That's like, a you're, good you're idea. Doing... Cause I yeah. have,
0: I've got a green screen cloth on the ground so they can easily hang up on that door. Put like the terrifying clown that pops up halfway through a zoom call
1: <laughs> yeah or or it could be uh you know you know who your your uh, boxing buddy i don't want to name names oh yes yeah, yeah, yeah you could you could do that you could do promotions with that as well that could be another thing like this week sponsoring xyz let's say coke coca-cola right so by the way this is what we do as designers as i learn more about your personality and i think about what your business can do This is where we start to come up with these ideas that isn't a fortune. You're not looking at gajillions of dollars. You're Mm. looking at something where, Oh, a little bit of creativity to existing tech. I've got a
0: couple more questions left for you, Joey, but before we get to that, you said Coca-Cola, which reminded me, I've got a new favorite Instagram page heads of society it's fantastic there's (laughs) one that i was looking at that says can you guess which one's who and it's the beatles and i'll I'll stick an image up here on the recording again another reason to go watch the recording rather than Uh, listen to the audio uh, but uh wow how like they're all brilliant thank you sir yeah so that is amazing
1: that gets into again the eclectic part of me and why it, it's sadly it has been a bit of a challenge to put myself into a box because that's what society wants to fit you in a box, mm. but yeah, I I just uh, I'm like water and I just kind of like mend around stuff. So I I've been an illustrator or for as long as I've been a designer. Uh, I like to call myself creative because I think that makes it easier because I get involved in other stuff. But yeah, so heads of society started years and years ago. I did an illustration of a bean head, and the woman, uh, Judy Law, uh, she had said, "Oh, it looks like a bean head." Basically, it was a head shaped like a bean with eyes on it. That started moving forward. Uh, maybe five years later, I stumbled upon uh, I stumbled on the word Cokehead. Now, Cokehead, we know what that is, right? But mm-hmm. I did a can of Coke on a guy's shoulders at that point i realized oh my god there's knucklehead there's richard head um there's all these different ways you could say the word head and i started back in like 2000 painting these things but paintings require a wall and i was running out of wall space and i thought okay i'm just going to stop painting them fast forward uh, 10 15 years later i got an ipad and started drawing on the ipad and then i did all of these different heads not to mention the internet became more open. And what I did with the heads, the only thing that I do is that I make sure that the heads are not derogatory. Mm-hmm. So anything like I won't do skinhead, not going to touch mm. it. I'm not going to do uh chicken head because that's a derogatory slang towards black and Latino women. Uh, mm-hmm. but I will do shithead. Why? Because anybody can be labeled that. And, yep. Yeah. And then it just became fun. And so far I've done, I don't know, I've got about a hundred heads completed. Uh, but then I started learning like all these other heads like uh, Buffett head and or not Buffett head. Um, uh, oh yeah. That's it. Because the guy, the singer, Jimmy Buffett, uh, they have, uh, they're called parrot heads and I did parrot head because it's all fans of Jimmy Buffett. There's uh dead heads for grateful dead. Uh, there, and, and then there's obviously other ones that they, the list goes on and on, but yeah, of society just started off as fun. And I, uh, all I've been doing is like creating illustrations. I actually, if you like, I could email you or mail you some actual stickers because oh, I made a bunch of stickers amazing. of them as well. Yeah. You know, Dope. and they're all the safe ones. They're, they're not of the, they're not of the, uh. Uh, the ones that might get you in some trouble, but
0: I don't mind getting in trouble every now and again. That's that's what makes life fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could I could write a book on that one, getting
1: in trouble and getting out of trouble, I think, is another one.
0: <laughs> As I said, couple more questions. Um digital presence, having a digital presence online. Two part question. One, why should someone invest in a digital presence? I look at a lot of C suite executives that don't have a great digital presence online, and two, the latter part to that is Uh, What do you see people overlook when they decide to get started with implementing a digital presence online?
1: Awesome. Uh, So those that don't have a digital presence, I respect your privacy. Some people Mm -hmm. don't want it, and I got you. However, the way the world is going, I think you need to have some way for people to see who you are. Now, again, you can live under the radar, and that's fine. But the way things are, people want to see you. They want the camera on. They want to be able to you know, make a relationship there, and I think it's important. But what I'll say for those that are involved in it, managing your digital presence is a job within itself. So all those posts I make, all that stuff, man, to do that and all the other things, it's, it's impossible, so you have to delegate. And what I would recommend is you find someone Uh, that can help you manage your LinkedIn profile, your Instagram. Uh, You can still do your stuff, but you need someone to help you with the day-to-day. Otherwise, yeah, you'll be sending out uh, links for opportunities all the time, and then trying to manage all those opportunities. And I'll give you an example. So one of my uh, my colleagues uh, is looking for uh, a new job. And one of the drawbacks to looking for a new job is rejection. You get a lot of rejection lot of people yep. and it could be anything it could be the fact that the and, and most of those job AI's are terrible, right? They look for the amount of keywords and that kind of stuff. And I've never found them valid. <clears throat> With the exception of like you go and talk to someone. However, you get all that rejection. And if you see all that rejection, it starts to weigh on your conscience that you're not good enough. Nobody wants to hire you. And if you get 10 rejections in a week, come on, that's terrible. But when you have someone managing that for you, you don't see those rejections. And that person, similar to like a designer where they're saying, okay, based on feedback I'm getting, we need to start doing these kinds of things in your resume or these kinds of things on LinkedIn. That's a way better feedback than someone saying not interested. So to have someone help you with that is critical and uh, it could be a little expensive uh, for some, but I would say, yeah, again, find a way to, to get it to work. there may be a bartering situation where me as a designer can help that person with their website or me as a designer can help you with your branding or something. Maybe there's a balance there. or like for example in heads of society, uh, I have someone who helps me with that and, and and funny, she posted all the Beetlehead stuff, but I only post on Fridays. She could post any other day of the week but I get to post on Fridays. and the reason for that is on Fridays is when I release the new head. The new one that goes out—that's the only time I'll—I'll I'll post it. And I—I—I I, I don't know, I don't really have a science to it. I just kind of do whatever. Like I tried uh, for Paul McCartney's birthday, I tried doing the Beatles uh, for his birthday, but I unfortunately missed it. But again, that's the kind of stuff I try to do with it. However, uh, all the other days of the week, she can post whenever she wants, when she wants.
0: Uh, there's some great ones: picklehead, snakehead, rockhead, picklehead. Your latest one, brilliant. Two final questions <laughs> for you, Joey. Yes, sir. You talk about uh, your style in one of your articles. Uh, once you're branded to your style, you feel as if you uh, you have you're, uh, you've deciphered the Da Vinci Code. That was a, I was reading the quote that you put down, which is well yeah, paused yeah, yeah. for a second. Um, you said you once thought you were an artist, but you're not. Um, why do you believe that process and protocols are so important?
1: So I am a massive fan of the process, and I don't worry about the outcome as much because Mm -hmm. the outcome will always be there, but the process will always change. And I find that absolutely fascinating Uh, to go through my style of illustration and having it evolve over the years is just a testimony to being dedicated to something you believe in. Uh, I've always found that the uh, amount of work that goes into understanding how you get things done, I think is way more important because you are learning yourself. So you can have inspiration from others. Uh, for example, I've had tons of inspirations. I, I've met some of them. Like I, I actually met Milton Glazer. I got to study and work with him. And if you don't know who Milton Glazer is, he he's done a lot of big brand identity. He did the I Love New York identity. Uh, mm-hmm. He did um, the New York Times. He did uh, the Brooklyn uh, Lager uh, identity. He's done a lot of stuff, this guy. And unfortunately, he he passed away a few years ago. But uh, meeting these types of guys only inspired me to go and pursue what I thought it could be. Like, what does that look like to Joey? And that also gets into a little bit of your voice because most of the times people want to copy others and they're very scared to be themselves. And I'm the opposite of that, where I don't mind being foolish. Right? I mean, I, I got a little bit of the boxing in me. Right. So like, yo, cause you got a problem, bro, we'll take it outside of you. Right. But you know, jokes aside, I think that in a lot of cases, uh, as you're trying to define your style, you start to stand out
0: mm.
1: and that's where you want to be. You want to stand out. You don't want to be, I don't know, like, again, you could be kind of like too far out there and, but people like that. And then you could be too close to someone else and be kind of confused as to who really did it. But mm. for me, that process of, of understanding and figuring out your style. Yeah. That is the suffering, the code Because once you figure out your style, that's it.
0: It, it hit home. The blog did. And I, and I, and I took my time reading it. Um, it's probably my favorite blog that you've put out. I'll leave a link to it below where people are watching and listening to this. If they'd like to read it themselves. Mm. Um, final question for you is, and this is probably going to be a tough one because most of the time when I ask people this question, they don't have the background that you do. So, all your loved ones are safe, but the room you're in right now is burning down and you can only save one item. Are you able to pick one item that you're going to save? In this room? Mm-hmm.
1: I'll just take my phone.
0: Okay. So you have no Sorry. issue with the rest of that stuff?
1: Mm-hmm. Nope. Not at all. And I, and I say that only because this is immaterial. hmm Right? Uh, my dad had always said, um, uh, you know, you can like, because again, building all the cars, uh, what's more important? You or the car? And you spend like one of the cars I spent, I don't know, 4,000, 5,000 hours on it over the course of like two years. I know it sounds like a lot of time, but you get lost when I mean, you are in your passion of your, you know, let's say like you're <clears throat> painting a room. Take a couple hours of painting, but you kind of get into that rhythmic and maybe even cathartic uh, appreciation of just being in the zone and just doing your thing. But at the end of the day, if that room was on fire, like what's more important, you like get the hell out of there, right? Like all the stuff can be bought again. It may not be the same, but that's fine, right? What's more important is just get out of the room. Now, if you said I had to pick between my kids, like like that, that I'm like oof, like no, I'll probably burn. Like I'll get them out of the house. The goal was to get them out of the house, but to mm-hmm. choose between them, yeah, like that's a question where like uh like whoever I can get to first, right? Like, but again, it's all, it's like kind of like fighting, right? Like you you train, train and train. And then the time comes to fight and it's all training. That's it. There is no like, oh, I'm going to come in with this plan. Like, I guess you can come up with a plan, but you're also going to be a little bit reactive to what's going on. You want to be proactive, but reactive as well.
0: You talked about breathing at the very start of the podcast around uh, breathing and Comedy, where two of the things you touched on, and talk, talking about fighting, actually, some of the elite fighters they even go to the to the point of watching how the other fighter is breathing. So when they're breathing out, they'll kick them or punch them in the gut to win them, or sorry, yeah, to win them so that they can then you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. mount them or knock them out. So that it's it's crazy when you look at the details of what the fighters are doing that even paying attention to the breathe the. Breath, the breathing of the other fighter, or the breath of the other fighter, yeah, to yeah. notice when they're breathing out so that you can, you can counter with a punch or a kick and yeah. that can be game over.
1: <clears throat> but yeah, but that said, I remember with the Brazilians, they had everything on VHS tape when we were, when I was down in Brazil, and mm. they would watch all of these tapes of all these other guys over and over again. And I thought, man, that is, again, they're dedicated, right? But it's so different than a designer and what designers do. And I think if you take some of those principles, of fighting or comedy into the business world, uh, it gives you an advantage. Like you can tell, for example, uh, I don't know too many fighters that immediately start yelling and carrying on right out the gate. They're chill. Why? Because they don't want to. They don't want to blow everything they got just yet. But in meetings, you'll see and hear people. Their voices start to escalate. And when I pick up on that, I think, okay, uh, they're they're either intimidated or something isn't right. And I don't and I don't want to make them more upset. Right now and I don't care where it is like for me. uh, As I mentioned, I have very little pride and practically no shame. I look to try to keep everybody on the same level. So the way I talk to you is no different than how I talk to the wife or my you know
0: who you are, though, which is not a lot of people know who they are. They truly are. And -hmm. you do which is remarkably cool. And I respect and like that. (laughs) Thank you.
1: Thank you, sir. But I, I guess with that said, yeah, I, I, I don't need to um, I don't need to build a higher wall. I need to build a bigger table. And if I can find out what upsets you and avoid that or uh, embrace it so that you don't feel like I'm here to like wipe you out, that's different. And I think that's a way where, again, with fighting, when you see someone getting agitated, you're already starting to think, how do I got to get out of this, right? Because I don't know too many people who want to get into a fight. Outside of getting paid a lot of money, you don't want to get into a fight with somebody. No. My, my grandmother had always said, uh, dynamite comes in every size. So I don't care. Don't who. And then, and, yeah, and in capoeira, uh, I wrestled with women that were like 5'2", and they pinned me. And, you know, and a, a note to the, the listeners, women, uh, because they have a different way their hips are, once they get their legs around you it's kind of hard to get them off you (laughs) yeah and And i this woman had actually pinned me where her she had pinned my arm over my head with her leg, and i'm like i couldn't get her off me at all no matter what i did i had obviously i had a tap but with that yeah like it's amazing where you um you could take these advantages of what you learn from other industries and apply it Uh, To what you do like for fighting or comedy or um, or another one is cars like building all these cars I don't see the difference between building a car and building a website to me. It's all the same The only difference is that one of them allows me control Z Right you break it on the car, you're not getting that off the cloud (laughs) There is no backup for what you just broke. You're gonna have to to redo it where with what I do digitally Yeah, I can undo into infinity yeah, back it up for
0: as much as I want. So, you good, said a little thought there. It is, I, and and I was thinking of what your grandmother said: the dynamite comes in all sizes. I moved, I moved to Australia, twenty fifteen for a year or twenty sixteen. I can't remember. My best mate was living over there, and when I got there, the first thing that he did was I was jet light. So he brought me to a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu session mm. with him, and ever since then, whenever I'm out on the belt, I can understand why you'll never know who's dangerous and who's not dangerous. Like mm-hmm. before that, before I went there, I could look at someone and go, I take them in a fight in two seconds because I'm six foot tall and I'm not the smallest character in the world. Whereas now looking at people, I'm like, there could be someone who's five foot five and I'm just, and skinny. And I'm like, I'm not taking my chances because yeah. I don't know what the fuck they can do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Yo, and, but
1: that, that's a little
0: bit of experience too, talking.
1: Because when you're younger, you're like, ah, oh, you know, like, what do you know about something? And you know, uh, 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 Lupakis, uh, Gus Lupakis, uh, his dad is a well-known uh, Greek Olympian, who, uh, you know, his uh, his martial arts is off the chain. And when you see the guy, he's like five two. And this guy, such a humble guy. And uh, you know, the thing that that always makes me worry are the people that are the quietest and most soft spoken. Yep. They're the ones because the big, loud mouth guys are like, yeah maybe they could fight maybe they can but something. but the yeah but the quiet ones I'm like yeah bro you need to put all four eyes on that cat right there because if that dude is still chill and you're yelling at him, oh that sounds like there's a lot already going on in his head that I think is going to come out in a fury yeah. that I don't know if you're able to handle man so <laughs> thankfully sure. I haven't been in that but yeah so um but yeah it's like I said man I think martial arts and comedy. Uh, that they play hand in hand in the business world if you can uh, get into that it may help you as a business owner
0: Joey we'll leave it there. Uh, I've had a true pleasure getting to know you a little more over the last hour that we've chatted uh, I wish you continued success in your life I know you've been to Ireland two or three times if you ever do come back let me know I'm gonna go for a proper point of Guinness yes but, sir uh, for now we'll leave it there
1: Awesome thank you so much for having me
0: beautiful morning. Get the in my morning, baby.